0: Hey folks, welcome to Bad GM's Campaign Build Along. I am the Bad GM himself, Wayne Davis. And as you know, we're going to be working together for the next little while to build a campaign setting, characters, and a campaign for Deadlands Classic. Now, before we move on with anything this week, the first thing you might have noticed is we've got ourselves some brand new theme music. Well, I listened to what you had to say, and quite frankly, I agreed with you. Had some issues with the theme music in last week's episodes, so we have fixed that. Let's see how it works moving forward. Okay, last week we worked on our starting town, which we named Triumph. It is set in the southwest corner of Kansas, as you may remember. It is a mining town on the cusp of a boom, and we've got several buildings on the one and only street we've got in town. And that gave us plenty of different places to utilize in the first few encounters of our new campaign. This week we need to populate the town because without some NPCs, our players will not have anybody to interact with. So, to refresh our memories, we decided that we had to have a tavern, a general store, a jail, and a blacksmith slash stable. We also chose to add a boarding house, a restaurant, laundry, bank, and what I called an entertainment house. Gonna say the same thing this week I said last week. Google it. I gotta have one clean show for the kiddos. I'm just saying. We also know we've got the mines about a half hour walk northwest of town. And a couple of farms a couple of miles north of town. And by the way, last week I said not once but twice that the mines were northeast of town. That is a mistake. I apologize for messing that up. And if that makes your map look really weird now, I am so sorry. Um, But I mean, the reason that we set the tavern and the restaurant and the entertainment house and the... General store, the way we said it was because I was intending the mines to be northwest, and for whatever reason, I kept saying northeast. So I screwed that up. There's a reason, there's a reason I'm the bad GM. I screwed that up, and I apologize. All right, so next big question we have to answer is who runs all of this stuff? Right off the top, I want to make it clear that these are the people and names that I chose to populate Triumph with. If you don't like them, or if you don't think they'll work for you, hey, feel free to use whomever you would like for your game. Again, this is just another way to take what we're working on here and customize it for you. You also need to remember that if you're not using all of the buildings I'm using, you won't need all these people. But if you're putting in some buildings that I didn't think of, well, now we're gonna give you some people you can use to run them. All right, kids, let's get creative. First up is the man who discovered the zinc and lead deposits and owns two of the three mines in town. That's Jessup Brown. Jessup's in his mid-30s, and besides owning the mines and founding the town, he's also the town mayor. And he's also the owner of the saloon, which I've named the Triumph Tavern. Why so many hats for Mayor Brown? Okay, here was my thought process. Since he founded the town, it was probably mostly his friends who were there at that point. So if he decided he wanted to be mayor, <laughs> who was going to stop him? And it would also make sense for old Jessup to have more than one money-making idea in town. And a saloon would be pretty easy to do as a moneymaker, so long as you got a way to keep the peace. That leads me to the town marshal, Ed Stewart. I see Ed as a career lawman. Now, that's not to say he's one of those guys who'd be famous, but he's one of those guys who's had a solid career. In my mind, he's been the kind of guy who moves from boomtown to boomtown because he works better in the smaller towns. Once they start getting bigger, he moves on to the next challenge. Ed's been plying his trade for 15 years, and I think he might have had a bit of military experience before that. It would actually work out for him to have served in the Civil War and still be able to have 15 years of experience with an 1876 start date. Ed's another one of those who's probably going to be a little bit older than the others in the town, but with that age comes wisdom and experience, and that's going to be something the players will be able to tap into, provided they play their cards right early on. And Ed's only been on the job about three months. That was when Jessup and the rest of the business owners decided to hire a marshal. In fact, they finished building the jail about two weeks after Ed started. But that's another show, probably next week. Since we decided last week that the general store and the bank are owned by the same person, let's get that person figured out before we move on. If I remember correctly, I'm pretty sure I said last week that this person was also a friend of Jessup's, but rather than making their money off of mining, they decided to make their money off the backs of those who were doing the mining. Elijah Goldman is the owner of Triumph General Store and the first National Bank of Triumph. Our choices for age are rather tight, since he's a pretty close friend of Jessup's, so it would range between 30 and 40. Again, a bit older than the players, more than likely, but that's that's still pretty good for our needs. Dexter Livingston is the next name on my list. In my mind, he's another one of those fellows who decided to diversify when he came to town. So, he owns the Triumph boarding house outright, and he is the co-owner of the Triumph Stables. Also, he is not a friend of Jessup's. Rather, he came to town just about the time the general store was being built, figured out this town was coming up, and decided to pour every dollar he had into it. Since I mentioned the Triumph Stables, how about we bring in the other co-owner? Marcus Brandon is his name, and I see him as a mid-twenties fellow. He's a blacksmith, and that's the reason he was able to buy half of the business, since Dexter needed a smith and didn't know how to do it on his own. At this point, I don't have much else about Marcus in mind, though I would like him to be a recent discharge from the military. Which side? Really irrelevant. Okay, so let's get the town restaurant taken care of. I decided to name it Mother's Kitchen, and for the record, it serves three meals a day, Monday through Saturday. Sunday, it's the home for church services, but no food is served. Miriam Walters is both the proprietor of the restaurant and the town minister. She's a non-denominational Christian, and in my mind, she's also a lesbian. Yes, I intentionally made her gay. And that might cause some of you to wonder why. So let me take a second and explain. For me, the thought of a minister preaching love, compassion, and understanding to their flock, it means a little bit more when they come from a group of people who need that love just that much more due to persecution and ridicule. So that's Miriam. For me, that's Miriam. Now, she doesn't dress like a, a lady, but the work pants and button-down shirt she chooses wouldn't have been all that out of place on a woman of the times. In fact, there's a ton of historical evidence that all kinds of women dressed like that. It was easier to work the fields, ride horses, mine, and do all the other things that women did to help build the West. I've also decided that Miriam's sexual orientation is known by everybody in town, and much like that popular meme from Jurassic Park, Nobody cares. They don't think twice about it. No big deal. Nobody's bothered. And that's the way I want it. Now, look, I get it. It's probably a little bit idealized, but it's my game. I'm doing it my way. Your minister can be whomever you want. So can the owner of your restaurant. Now, Miriam's the oldest woman in town at 40. She's more gray than blonde these days. That doesn't seem to bother her. And she can drink, gamble, and swear with the best of them. I think she's going to be a whole lot of fun to play on my part. I just have to keep in mind, play her respectfully. Don't play into stereotypes. And don't overdo it. (laughs) That last one's going to be the big one. Don't overdo it. Now, before I move on, I do need to point out something that I did not point out last week in either one of the episodes. In discussing the background of the Civil War and the alternate history of Deadlands, Shane Lacey Hensley expressly said that slavery does not exist in his version of the continental United States. He admits as well that that idea is probably idealized, but as he also stated, the idea was to create a game where everybody at the table could have fun playing it, and dealing with something like the concept of slavery has the potential to bring the mood way down as it should. I said that so I could say this. I'm pretty sure a decent number of citizens of triumph are going to be African American or definitely non-white. I just haven't decided who all will be just yet. I'm leaning towards Elijah being black, though I can't give you a good reason why. I think I just I just see I just see, like, Denzel Washington. I don't know why, but it's what I see. I also think either Dexter or Marcus will be as well. But again, I want to be clear. These are decisions I made for my game. You populate Triumph however you want. All right, since I've got an entertainment house, we need to name it. It's called The Whispering Mile, and Maisie Adams is the proprietor. I decided I wanted her to be young, about 16 years old, but I've also decided she's way smarter than she should be, and frankly more street smart and world savvy than she should be for that age. Again, I haven't decided just why yet, but that basic background gives me something to work from. I also decided that the Whispering Mile needs an enforcer of some type which would be the norm for those types of establishment. And Julio Marquez fits the bill. Julio is Mexican. And I decided I wanted that because I think my group might head south of the border at some point. And I wanted to season the early sessions with someone who might be a link to an adventure or two in Mexico. Julio's in his mid-to-late 20s, and he sees Maisie more like a little sister than a boss, but he respects her nonetheless, and she shows him that same level of respect. Julio is also the man Ed Stewart taps in a pinch when he needs an extra hand on short notice, so this means I'll also need to play him like a man who can definitely handle his business. Now, I haven't decided for sure who owns the laundry in town just yet, but I am leaning towards making that individual of Asian descent. Okay, I realize I'm playing into a bit of stereotype on this, but hear me out before you go to cancel me. This is another opportunity to lay the foundation for more adventure hooks throughout the adventure. Because, both in the game and in reality, there were thousands of people of Asian descent who made their way into the American West to build the railroads try to mine, and to make fortunes. History has also shown that many of these individuals settled in towns and opened laundries or restaurants. Those are the ones we hear about primarily, but those aren't the only types of businesses they opened. Just take a trip to San Francisco and trust me on that. Again, if I go that way, I have to keep in mind to play them as respectfully as I can. Of course, if that concept bothers you, change the owner to someone else. There's no shame in making your game comfortable for you and your players. I've also decided I want Triumph to have a doctor, but I don't think I'm going to start the game with him in town. I think I'll bring him in a session or two in, and I think I'm also going to have him act as the town's undertaker. Kind of makes sense. All I've got at this point is a name, Dr. Marshall Withers, who goes by the name Doc. So... That's something I need to leave on the old notepad. I need to flesh that out as I go along. Oh, and I do realize I said something about there being a couple of farms just north of town. I'm not going to do anything with them at this point because I haven't figured out if they're going to play into the campaign. So for the moment, I'm just going to leave it where it is. That's one of those things we can work out later on. Okay, so that's it for the People of Triumph for now. I mean, I'll still need to put a bartender in the tavern, as well as some servers. Plus, I'll need miners, a few mine foremen, and other workers for the other businesses. But I'm not really worried about all of that at this point. For me, the biggest part of the job to this point was to get the town created and figure out who owns what. However, if you want to go through the steps of figuring out some of those other folks, please feel free to do so. You could also flesh out the backstories for those I have named, maybe figuring out why they're here and what their motivations are. Go ahead, I'm not gonna be offended. But with the Town of Triumph pretty well fleshed out, it's time to set that to the side for a minute and get into character creation. Now you might be asking why we're creating characters right here when we haven't even begun to scratch out adventures for our players yet. That's a simple answer. If we know what kind of characters our players will be playing, That'll help us in fleshing out some of our adventure points. Think about it like this. If our party is mostly comprised of gunslingers, which my party actually is, then the majority of the action is going to be shoot-em-up style action because that's what the characters are basically built to do. That's not to say I can't put some heavy roleplay in or do some other things, but setting my group up with some gadget-building missions or missions that involve a lot of slinging wouldn't be fair to them since it's not what they're built for. On the flip side of that, if your group is comprised of mad scientists and hex-slingers, you're probably going to want to keep the gunplay to a minimum early on, because that's not really those characters' specialties. Though I've seen some characters that can hold their own in both. On top of all of that, and I think I've mentioned this once or twice thus far in the first couple of episodes of this show, I tend to be a bit lazy in my campaign creating. If my characters can give me some good background stuff or some character flaws, it allows me to take their work and plug it into my game, which then just requires that I fill in around that information. Trust me, any GM worth their salt has done this at least once, and I'll wager that most of them do it quite frequently. I mean, are you going to try to tell me that Matt Mercer doesn't look at his player's character backgrounds when he's working up adventures? Yeah, bet me. So, I'm going to walk you through the process of creating a character for your game. After that, I'm going to let you know what kind of characters my group has, so you have an idea for what I'm working with, which, by the way, will explain why some of the adventure stuff looks the way it does when we get to that. Alright, so enough background. Let's get creating. For this, you can go straight to Chapter 2 of the Player's Guide, which of course is trademarked and copyrighted by Pinnacle Entertainment Group. Needed to get that out there. The very first thing we need to decide is what kind of character do we want to create. Like I said, I'm going to tell you in a little bit what my players created. But for now, let's just decide what we'd like to create for ourselves if we were going to play a character. Oh, and if you decide to create a really cool character, let me know. If I could find a way to include it, we just might make it an NPC in this game as we create our way along. You can't make this audience participation and then not allow the audience to participate. If you've only ever played D&D, this might seem a little bit confusing for you because Deadlands doesn't have classes. So you have to create a concept for your character before you roll dice, draw cards, and fill out a character sheet. That's going to be different for a lot of gamers. But I've found that if players have a good idea of what they want to be before your session zero, you can get the character creation process done in a couple hours. I should point out that pages 81 to 102 contain character templates that give you some pretty good spots to work from if you've got a basic idea of what you want to do. However, even if you do want to play one of those, I still recommend creating your character from scratch. My character concept for our purposes is an older gentleman, thinking late 30s to early 40s. He was a soldier before the Civil War and they don't really talk about a lot that a lot in the deadlands rules but in, in real history that period between the Mexican War and the Civil War it was sometimes interesting sometimes boring we make that work here he was so traumatized by the ideas of war and conflict he left the army as soon as he could when the Civil War began, he took off for the West because he had no desire to fight. In fact, he is so traumatized by the concept of a war, he fell into the bottle as soon as he made his way out West. His drinking continued until about 1870 when he had an epiphany. Drunk, broke, and sleeping in an alleyway, he was accosted by a couple of ne'er-do-wells who intended to take anything on him worth anything, which really wasn't a whole lot at that point, and Then they were going to kill him. However, before they could finish him off, somebody scared them off. What our man saw was a woman in a nun's habit brandishing a double-barreled shotgun. After saving his life, the nun saved his life again. He dried up, cleaned up, and accepted the Lord in his heart. And he found he had abilities he could utilize. About a year ago, the nun who saved his life was killed by something weird. So, our man left the town. He served for five years to get retribution, as well as to see if he can convert others. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the background that we've got for our character. So, we'll move from the background and concept to getting the traits chosen. Again, if you look at the Player's Guide, the various traits are detailed on pages 35 to 37. Since you can read them in full there, I'm not going to get into them in great detail here. But we do need to acknowledge that based on the background we've laid out, there are some things we need to take into account when we work out traits. Since he was a soldier, we're going to want his deftness and quickness to be decent. I say decent because in order to have survived combat, which I'm going to assume he has, though I haven't decided why, but in order to have survived it, he's going to have needed to be a decent shot and fairly quick on the pickup. He doesn't need those numbers to be too high, though, because he basically gave up that life for 20 years. So, slightly better than average would be sufficient for our needs, and I'll help explain that better in a bit. He's also going to need a high spirit and a good mien. The reason for that is because those scores will impact how he uses the powers that are granted to him through his religion, and it will give him the ability to give a good old-fashioned inspirational sermon. So, we're going to draw cards for the trait dice at this point, which means we're going to need a character sheet. For the record, there's one in the back of the player's guide that you can copy for personal use, so do that if you'd like. Pinnacle also sells character sheet PDFs on their website at PEGINC.com. With your character sheet in place, grab your deck of cards and remember to leave the jokers in the deck. Draw 12 cards. For the record, I drew a black joker. Ace of spades, ace of hearts, king of diamonds, ten of spades, ten of hearts, nine of diamonds, eight of clubs, seven of hearts, six of clubs, five of spades, and four of diamonds. Since I drew a joker, I'll need to draw another card, because I have to figure out a suit for the number of dice it'll be, and I'll get to that in a minute. Well, actually, let's just do it now. Drew a spade, I put it on the joker. Now, we got to toss two cards. You can't toss jokers, and I wouldn't want to anyway, because thanks to the spade I drew, I get 4 12 to put into a trait, which is the highest number of the highest die I can get. So we'll set that bad boy to the side and detail what's worth what, so we can decide what to toss. Aces are d12s, kings and queens d10s, jack through 9 is a d8, 3 through 8 is a d6, and deuces are d four insofar as the number of dice. Spades are four, hearts are three, diamonds are two, clubs are one. And yeah, I realize I just threw a lot at you real quick. Trust me, once you pick it up, it's like this, like it's nothing. So, keeping all of this in mind, we're going to keep the aces, the king, the tens, and the nine, because hey, those are those are really good dice. So, we've got to decide which two out of the four through eight are going to go. Now, here's how I would do it. Since they're all a D6, it comes down to the number of dice. And since clubs are only one die, to me, it's a no-brainer. So the eight and the six of clubs have to go. I mean, they'd only bring us one D6 each, so they got to go (laughs) bye-bye. Okay, so with that done, let's get our traits organized. You're going to want your character sheet for this, or at the very least, take your notes really, really good now and transfer to the character sheet once you get it printed off. I'm not going to judge. I've created D&D characters like that for 30 years. All right, I said a minute ago that we needed a high spirit trait. So let's drop the Joker with the spade on it. That gives us 4d12 in spirit, and that will more than work well for a religion-forward character. We'll put the spade back in the deck, but we're going to hold on to the Joker. There's more coming on that in a minute. Next, we've got the two aces, which give us 4d12 and 3d12. I'm going to put 4d12 into me in, and I'm doing that because over time our character has seen and done things that would curl your hair, that would lead him to be an outstanding storyteller, and some of that would have to work for our needs. The 3d12 is going to go into quickness, and my reasoning for that is twofold. Quickness controls quick draw, and even if I don't put anything into quick draw later, I've got the dice for it if I need it to be. Quickness is also used for initiative. You roll your dice with a target number of 5, and you draw cards in increments of 5 to determine when you go in a round, if you get to go at all. So, having d12s makes a lot of sense. Having three of them makes even more sense to me. Next up is the King of Diamonds, which gives us 2d10. I'm going to put that into knowledge. This guy's someone who's probably picked up a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things, but doesn't know a ton of stuff about any one thing. Plus, I think the focus on this character is more religion and spell-slinging and less gun-slinging, but he will if he needs to. So, I'll put smaller dice into the shooting areas. Now, it's the two tens and the nine. That's forty-eight, d three D-eight, two D-eight, for the record. Let's put three D-eight into cognition, because I'd like him to be good at searching and scrutinizing, which run off of cognition. The 4d8 will go into Nimbleness. Again, Jack of Many Trades, Master of 1 or 2. We'll drop the 2d8 into Deftness. That's where the shooting is at, and it'll make him a little bit better than average. So that leaves us with 3 cards and 3 traits. At this point, we've got 4d6, 3d6, and 2d6. 4d6 goes into Smarts, 3d6 into Vigor, and 2d6 into Strength. To me, that makes sense just based on what we've worked out about the characters so far. Now, I'm sure you see grit, pace, size, and wind on the sheet. Here's how we do that. No character starts with grit, so that's a big fat zero. Think of pace as movement speed. It's determined by the nimbleness die. So, since our guy's nimbleness die is a D8, his pace is an 8. Size? Well, pretty much everybody's size is going to be a 6. That could change depending on edge or hindrance, which we'll get into in a minute. But without that, 6 is the number, so write that down. Wind. Wind is the Deadlands equivalent of hit points, though they don't work exactly the same way. I'll get into that in two weeks when I go over the basics every GM needs to know in order to run a session. For now, let's just put the number in place. It's the die type of vigor and spirit added together. Since Vigor is a d6 and Spirit is a d12, our character's Wind is 18. (laughs) not bad. Okay, so the next step in the process is to get points assigned into Aptitudes. If you're looking at the character sheet, the Aptitudes are the things listed under each trait. You're going to want to take a good look at these. So let's again refer back to the Player's Guide. Details on the various Aptitudes are on pages 38 through 48. Now we're going to need some points to put into these categories, and that's determined by the die types for knowledge, smarts, and cognition. For the record, those are a D10, a D8, and a D6 for a total of 24, and that's a pretty decent number of points to use. Now, before we go putting in any points, we need to know that we get points in a couple of aptitudes for free. Yay! We get a free point in search, two in knowledge home county, a point in climbing, and a point in sneak. So, any additional points we put in add to those free points. And for the purposes of understanding why we do what we do, and for making sure the math's correct, at character creation, it's a point for point system. That means for each point you put into an aptitude, it costs you a point. That's going to change after character creation, which is why I'm taking the time to make it so clear right now. One more thing before we break this down. A character can have no more than five points in any aptitude at character creation. Okay, so with the rules down, let's get to spending points. Right off the top, we're putting three points each in faith and guts. I think the way we've worked the background works for this. I definitely want a point in shooting pistols and shooting shotguns, and yes, you have to specify. Just put points into shooting without stating what kind of gun you're shooting will not work. Uh, Let's see, two points in tale-telling and two points in persuasion fit with the preacher background. I also want a point in streetwise and one in survival, because he survived on the streets as a homeless man for a while. Let's put two points in scrutinize because that feeds the preacher going after the weirdness of the West. Two points in overall works for me and two in dodge fits the character as well. I'll put a point in driving and one in horse riding because he's got to get from place to place and unless he's using the old heel-toe express, he needs to be pretty good at these things. Now by my math, that leaves two points. I thought about going back and putting another point in each of the shooting areas, but I decided instead to put a point into slide of hand and one into speed load. That gives me a bit more flavor to use to fill out the character. Okay. So next up, we need to move to hindrances and edges. Now, here's how those work. To get an edge, you have to spend the number of points the edge costs. However, if you take a hindrance, you get the number of points listed. And yes, you can use attribute points to buy edges. I could have done that, especially since I was stretching at the end to use points, but I decided that I'd buy three points of hindrances in order to buy the edge we need for this character. And you can read all about hindrances and edges in the Player's Guide, pages 49 to 67. Like I just said a minute ago, we need the arcane background, blessed edge for our preacher, and that will cost us three points. In order to get there, we're gonna need to come up with three points to spend. Now there's a hindrance that works perfectly for our character and it's the poverty hindrance. It specifically states that the character spends their money as quickly as they make it. It also means they only get fifty dollars in spending money to start with. We can make this work. Our character gives away their money about as quickly as they get it. They make sure they've got food to eat and, and some sort of shelter. But otherwise, the money goes to the church, or to the orphans, or to the homeless, or to anybody with a sob story. See I'm actually taking a negative and turning it into a positive. It's probably not what they intended, but I can figure out a way to stretch a few of these things. So with the three points we get from that, we can buy our arcane background. That also means we're going to be headed to chapter eight in a few minutes. Yes, character building is both easy and difficult at the same time, and the difficult part comes when someone chooses a hex slinger or a mad scientist, and when they draw a joker. Before we do anything else, let's deal with that joker we drew. This is going to require us to open up our Marshall's Handbook to page 35, and it details the process once this happens. Basically, we As the marshal, or GM of the game, have to draw a card from our own action deck to see what's happened to our character. So I did that, and I drew the king of spades. Looking at the section for the king on page 38, I see that this means our character has in his possession an artifact once owned by someone else. Unfortunately, since the card was a black card, it also means his artifact is cursed. Now, this could be a weapon, but I don't know if I really want to go down that road. Let's mark this down. We'll come back to it later. It's not something we have got to have settled until we actually start writing the character. Now, we still have to equip our character, but before we do that, let's turn the player's guide to chapter 8. That's page 173, so you can find it quicker. And deal with the special stuff our dude gets from being amongst the blessed. First thing we have to remember is that our hero needs to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk. If he fails to do that, he's going to have to perform penance in order to regain his powers. But he's got some cool powers to pull from, so keeping him on the straight and narrow shouldn't be too hard to do. You see, he's got access to miracles, and he automatically gains the protection miracle. Plus, since he's got three levels in faith, he gets three more. Now, I'm not going to read over all the available miracles for you. You can do that on your own after the show. But I will explain why I chose the three that I did. Holy Roller, well, that allows the character to basically beg God for help, and he gets a free draw from the Fate Chip box. Now, there's risks involved in that, but I think it would lend itself to some interesting roleplay, so I decided to go with it. We're also choosing Lay on Hands. Should be obvious why and sacrifice, which allows him to give anyone one of his fate chips for their own use. Again, I'm seeing this guy as one of those who wants to help, and I feel this would be exceptionally helpful. For now, that's it on the extras for being blessed. We can always buy more miracles once we start getting fate chips, so I'll keep an eye on a couple that might interest me for the future. And I should note that the concept of the blessed is based on Christianity. If you want your blessed to be a follower of another religion, like a Muslim or Hindu, please feel free to adjust some of the wording of this section to fit that religion. I can assure you Shane Lacey Hensley won't get mad at you. He'll just be happy you're playing his game. If you're more into spiritualism, that's a totally different chapter. You'd want to use the shaman chapter, and we'd have to change the edge to arcane background shaman. But that's easy enough to do if that's what you would prefer. I should also note that Pinnacle released an entire supplement devoted to the Blessed in the Deadlands world. It's got a ton more miracles in it, along with new rules and suggestions for running your blessed character. Now, I'm not going to use the supplements in this show, but there's absolutely no reason why you can't use the supplements if you want to. At this point, peginc.com is going to be the fastest way to find what you're looking for, unless, of course, your friendly local neighborhood game store just happens to be flush with old Deadlands Classic stuff in their used section. All right, finally, we're going to equip our character. Flip the page to 75 in the player's guide. It's where the gear is. Now, usually he'd get 250 bucks to get all the gear he needs, but because of the hindrance we took, he gets a mere $50. It means we're gonna have to buy cheapo gear for him in a lot of cases, which means he can get it between half and two thirds off the listed price. But that also comes with the chance the item will fail. With his clothing, I want him to have new-ish clothes because he sincerely believes that if he looks good, he will sound good, he will make that kind of impression, and people will want to listen to him and follow him. So we drop $8 for a pair of boots, $2 for a pair of long johns, and $15 for the suit. Tack on $10 for a duster and $3 for the fedora, and we've already spent $38. That leaves us with $12 to put a couple of firearms on. The first thing we need to note is there is no way we can get him even a cheapo shotgun. So that's gonna be out for now, even though we put the points in it. That's no big deal. He can buy one when he finally gets some money, or he can take one off of somebody down the line. Fortunately for us, we can get him a Colt Frontier pistol for eight bucks, and it does not have to be a cheapo. That's that's actually brand new. The ammo, on the other hand, is gonna have to be cheapo, because we've only got $4 left. So he can buy four rounds of ammo for this pistol, but that means he's paying half price, which also means he's got a chance of a misfire when he pulls the trigger. But we don't have a choice. This also means he doesn't have a holster or a gun belt when we start. That's not that big a deal because he can holster his pistol in the pocket of the duster. It also means he's got no other gear on him. That means we're going to have to introduce him in town. Again, that's not a huge deal, but we'll have to work something up to explain why in the world that happened. Again, this is all background we can use to flavor the character, improve the roleplay, and give us story ideas as we move along. All that's left at this point is to name him, come up with his physical description, and we're good to go. And I know I keep saying he. This character could just as easily be female, non-binary, transgendered. You create the character the way you want them to be. I tend to default to what I am, a cisgendered Caucasian male in his late 40s. But you need to play the character that feels more like you. It's all good. With our character basically finished, I was going to detail what my players came up with for their own characters. But I realized I'm more than 6,000 words and 20-something pages in, and I know we're running long. So, here's what we're going to do. Next week, after I do the summary from this week's episode, I'll get into the characters my players created. Then we'll move on with the topic I originally announced, which is creating the first few encounters. It's all good. It will all be fine. course, you always have the right to move forward on your own, and I encourage you to do that. I also encourage you to reach out to the show with your questions, comments, and concerns, and I will do my best to address them. If you're game, I might even read them on the show so our listeners can help you with your dilemma or so they can have the question that they might have themselves answered. I can't answer the question if I don't know it's there. I'll give the email address again in a minute, but. It's badgmproductions at gmail.com. So, we're two weeks in, and we've got our town basically built and settled. We've got the basics of creating characters out of the way. We are well on our way to having a Deadlands game here. Sweet. Bad GM's campaign build-along is a production of Bad GM Productions. You can keep up with us on Facebook at Bad GM Productions, Twitter at Bad GMP, our Twitch channel is Bad GM, our YouTube channel, Bad GM Productions, and our email, badgmproductions at gmail.com. And again, our website, which isn't fully functional yet, but we're working hard to get it there, is badgmproductions.com. Like I said a minute ago, if you've got questions about things we've already covered on the show, or you've got something you'd like us to cover, Reach out and let us know, and we will do everything we can to get your topic covered. Next week, we'll look into the characters my players created for this very scenario. Then we'll start building the various sessions of our game. It's going to be both fun and informative, I can promise you. So you're not going to want to miss it. Until then, I'm the Bad GM, Wayne Davis, and this has been Bad GM's Campaign build Along.